0: Welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we're looking at very important topics through a biblical and spiritual lens. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, if you want to continue to watch this or listen to this, make sure you go to iTunes. You can look up Conversations with Ben Dixon and subscribe, or you can always go to YouTube and look for Ignite Global Ministries and hit the subscribe button. We have our playlist called Conversations with Ben Dixon. If you forget all that, just go to conversationswithbendixon.com and you can get all the information that you you need right there. We're going to drop a new episode every Monday, and you can follow along in this journey of all these important conversations that we're going to have. Today, I've got a special guest with me, my friend, Pastor Trevor Loya from Terrace Foursquare Church. What's up, Trevor? Hey, how you doing? You doing Thought good? to be here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, doing if, good. If you're not doing good, we could do this over. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Trevor's one of my best friends. I've known him for longer than a decade. And he's also got an important voice on some of the subjects that we're going to bring up in this conversation today. And just to let you know, what we're going to do today is we want to start a conversation, not necessarily finish it, because it's sort of like a, an umbrella topic. You can throw a lot of things underneath it as you talk about it, so I can imagine the branches of this tree are, are, gro- are gonna grow out from what we say today. So what we're talking about today is what we're saying, uh, we're defining as faith deconstruction. Sometimes you'll hear the term deconstructionism, or somebody will say, I'm deconstructing my faith, or you'll read about a person who's deconstructing their faith, and, and we're gonna define that, and we want to talk about how people arrive at this place. Now again, as we define it, just remember the word deconstruction or deconstructionism can be used in a myriad of ways, and I hope that ultimately as we land this that we help some who are actually questioning things or thinking about God in a new way or the Bible or have questions because ultimately that's what we're here to do. We want to talk about very important topics uh, uh, through a biblical and a spiritual lens. And I know, Trevor, you've taught about this before, I've talked a lot about this, but you hear a lot about it, uh, the more and more that, um, you know, people walk away from the faith and people choose to not follow Jesus anymore. As that happens, you hear this word more more and more, deconstruction, I'm deconstructing my faith. So let me ask you, uh, and we'll springboard off of each other, What? Does it mean to deconstruct your faith or what is deconstructionism the way that you would define it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things that isn't a new subject. It's just that in the last year has mm-hmm. come up so much and more in the last probably few years, more and more. But this, this is... A philosophy that is 60 years old mm-hmm. um, and it comes out of postmodernism. But really, what I think it is today, how it's morphed, and in, in terms of de- deconstruction of faith, it is the proactive dismantling of what we believe. Right. It is that is it's a proactive approach. It's just not something that we we stop tending to something like of our of our beliefs. We get lukewarm and we stop caring. Mm-hmm. It is an action of tearing down these pillars of faith that we have believed maybe our entire life. Mm-hmm. And so there's just rubble left in terms of uh, what we believe. And that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing happen. Mm-hmm. That's what deconstruction is. When we speak about deconstruction, that's what we mean mm-hmm. uh, uh, when, when it comes to that. Um, and so so we, we see that happen all across. I mean, we're seeing in society all over the place, deconstruction just take over. Mm-hmm. We've seen major public figures, Christian figures. The last time I was on here, we talked about kind of these falling of celebrity pastors mm-hmm. We've seen them like Joshua Harris, the guy who does I Kiss, Get, Dating, Goodbye. We've seen... um, did. Did. Yeah, yeah, he did. You know, Michael Gunger, the the famous musician, you know, who's just completely down that road. Rob Bell, Richard Rohr is really the one who has propagated this entire movement of deconstruction of faith. And uh, and there's more. There's just more and more coming up. Mm-hmm. Lots of worship artists that have come out and said this. And so it's a wild thing mm-hmm. uh, to, to watch. Entire podcasts are built around how to deconstruct your faith mm-hmm. in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about it in a different light today, right? Yeah, we are. Um, we, we're taking
0: on a different approach than some of the positive uh, voices that are like, "Hey, you should do this, right?" So we're we're kind of posing it as a, not entirely as a negative thing, but that the way that many are going about this is in fact negative. So as we're defining it, we're talking about like a s- systematic tearing down of tradition and traditional beliefs as people sort of begin to question things, and. The overwhelming majority of the time people talk about this, it is negative. Like, it is, Christianity's not real. Things that people believe or say is not true. Uh, God isn't who people say he is. The Bible, can you really trust it? Uh, Christian beliefs, I mean, come on, look at how Christians are responsible for so much war and damage and chaos and trauma. And so these things must be questioned. Authority must be torn down. Christian leaders are of it, I mean, on and on, right? Like, this is sort of the overwhelming majority of what people are talking about. But in a positive sense, would you say that deconstructing something doesn't have to be negative—now, it is primarily in most circles—but to actually examine something— to look at a belief, to study and go deeper, to dive deeper into something to better understand it. That's a that's a positive thing. When a person has doubt, when a person has questions, they should dive deeper. Right. 100%. This is so. Our position is is not to say you shouldn't ask questions. Our position is say is to, uh, my position would be, when a person arrives at a place of skepticism as a way of life, let's just question everything. Everything needs to be torn down. Everything needs to be questioned. Everything needs to be analyzed. I've found that to be the path to an unbeliever. You're e- you're either going to become an agnostic or an atheist at some point, which is absolutely the the way that the way that it goes so this is a big topic there's a lot going on here and i'm sure like people are familiar with this even if you're not familiar with the terminology right like like you have to go beyond the terminology we could use the word skeptic or being cynical or skeptical to the things of
1: christian faith and christian orthodoxy and 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 and, and all of that well the funny thing is the the originator of deconstruction would would say that to be an adult is to be skeptical mm-hmm. is is to question and to doubt that's mm-hmm. what it mean you you know there's many times where when I say something about you know Jesus says believe like a child and there's things I've posted before and people go well when you grow up you'll you'll understand that's not how the way <laughs> the world works and you're like why well I hope that like Jesus is still as faithful as I thought when I was 17 and I met like Jesus. you matured out of it. Yeah, right, you matured yeah. out of it. Yeah, and that's, that's right. and this comes out of deconstruction. This right. comes out of this postmodern idea. And so what we're talking about is there's a difference between critical thought mm-hmm. and the way of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can analyze things, ask questions, and be honest about the doubts we have, mm-hmm. that's normal. Doubt mm-hmm. can be uh, a really important thing to grow our faith. It can mm-hmm. make us ask questions to go, as, go to the next level of faith. Right. Deconstruction does the opposite. And mm-hmm. it, it begins to to create more doubt and ask more questions of doubt. Now, a lot of things that propagate this is when, when we deconstruct, we start questioning the authority of things mm-hmm. because we wonder if the intent of a person speaking, or a book that we read, or uh, traditions we hold, are uh, are of good intentions. Mm-hmm. And so, when we find one bad intentions, one bad intention, we throw everything else out. Right. And that's a problem with the. That's the problem with deconstruction. It it throws the baby out with the bathwater. I know it's a terrible term to say, but you know it really does. It, you, you throw out so many that good is, things. That, that is a weird. It is a weird term. Sorry, keep going. If you really that think was... about, like... No, let's not you know, about it. It's just bad.
0: <laughs> baby shouldn't be thrown. <laughs> keep going. Yes. Yeah, don't
1: throw yes, baby. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, we, we start throwing too many things out mm-hmm. that are good. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in our culture all over the place. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture. We're seeing that with anything. There, some things are good and some things are bad. We, we It's either all bad or all good. Um, and there can't be a little bit of both. Uh, so when you deconstruct, you... You take something for, you know, uh, something as if something's bad, it's all bad. Right. When you are critically thinking, you go, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, chew the meat and spit out the bones. Maybe that's a better way to put it, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not going to take everything you're, you're, uh, uh sold here but but there are some good things that you you can ab- absorb in it and so like the difference is like we've done real estate you taught me how to do real estate I did you're welcome oh man yes yeah. yes um but like there's difference you know when you've done renovations and yep. things like that so mm-hmm. when you when you come in with a house inspection it's a non-invasive inspection the guy um, comes in, what a professional. What
0: are we here? What's wrong? Because you want
1: to fix it, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're going to have a critical analysis of the home. Mm-hmm. Is there defects that they can find? Mm-hmm. And so they'll look through it, and that's a critical way of looking at something. And then they give you like a 30-page analysis of mm-hmm. all of these things. And you reading and you go, okay, I understand the home I'm going to buy, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, deconstruction is like demolition. It's like you're not even inspecting. You're just destroying. You could be inspecting. Yeah. But as soon as you find like, you know, one like there's right. a leaky uh, P-trap, right. you know. Oh, the water all heater, heater is do- bad. Let's tear down the yeah. house. let tear down that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what ends up happening far too often. Right. So we're, if someone says deconstruction isn't bad, I'm just trying to think critically. What, we, what we're trying to say is deconstruction in its intent is to tear down systems that even are half good. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay to critically think. We're not saying critically thinking and asking questions and working through doubt is bad. We're saying, mm-hmm. no, let's, let's absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. We're saying deconstruction, we buy it uh, for what it is. Right. The intent of what it is right. can become very harmful. Right. But we tend to find ourselves in that place often because things happen to us. And we go, oh, man. Right. We want to advocate inspection. We we want to advocate people
0: critically think about their faith, own their faith, study their faith, seek God on a deeper and more meaningful level, uh, especially as we grow. As As we mature, we're not trying to mature out of Christianity. Right. We're trying to mature deeper into Christianity. And so there are questions that arise. We have to be able to answer those things. And I think also for the world that we live in, I mean, really, when our faith gets deeper and more robust, we're able to answer questions that people have. I was reading a guy, his name's Bart Campolo, yeah. Tony Campolo's his dad, Tony Campolo's well known for progressive Christianity, mm-hmm. he was large part of the emergent church and all mm-hmm. of that that right. existed. And, uh, but Bart's his son, I believe, and he he was, he was said this, actually. He said, I pass through every stage of heresy. It starts with sovereignty going. Then biblical authority goes. Then I'm a universalist. Now I'm marrying gay people. Pretty soon I don't actually believe Jesus rose from the dead uh, in a bodily way. And I thought that quote was interesting because actually I've seen this happen with people. I've seen them get on this path where first I feel like what happens is – uh, people will start to question the Bible. Right. How you get there is a number of ways, but, right. but usually I'll see people say, start to question the Bible in one way or another, not to ask questions of the Bible or to seek a deeper and more um, uh, more understandable way of a passage or where the Bible came from right. or anything like that. Totally. But they end up questioning the Bible and that is a slippery slope to right. what he says. I ended up, In universalism, and from universalism, he just ended up becoming an atheist. Right. Um, That actually is the path. In fact, when I lived up north in in Bothell, I saw that happen to East Lake Community Church. Right. And I felt like people were throwing stones at me when I started bringing it up because we and I said the same thing about Rob Bell when Rob Bell. And Velvet Elvis started to question the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. And one of his comments was, you don't need to have the virgin birth to believe in Jesus. Right. And it was so interesting because all of a sudden you're like, well, if the virgin birth wasn't right. true, right. then Jesus wouldn't be sinless. And he right. didn't connect the sinlessness of mm-hmm. Jesus being fully God, fully man, uh, to his virgin birth. He couldn't be born through the line of Adam. Right. This all gets cleared up in theology, that I would only know, uh, that I only know because I've studied it. Now, there are things that I don't know, and I'm not claiming to know everything, but I wanted to understand that, so I studied it. Okay, what does the Bible actually say? But when I read Velvet Elvis, I was like... This guy's like playing around with things that are historically orthodox. And when you start to do that, inevitably what you're going to do is question everything. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel that he had legitimate questions in his book. I didn't feel like it led me to a place of like introspection or deeper study. It wasn't about finding more meaning for the scripture. It was like, well, we don't really need this to have Christian faith. But what was interesting is, is that Rob Bell, over that period of time... He just kept taking steps down that logical path. Well, if you don't need this, and this maybe isn't true, and I don't think I can believe that, he just kept sewing into his skepticism. Now, I started saying that. At that time, I was like, hey, I don't think you should be able to say the things he's (laughs) saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to ask the questions that he's asking. And there's a difference. And when I was trying to help my friends who really loved Rob Bell and his remember the NUMA videos, I was like, well so that, like, <laughs> right. we want to be in the world today and and know how to love people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. he, he always had a way... I mean, he way... was the first,
1: like, artistic expression yeah, of things. Like...
0: And he was good at that. Like, right, come on, right, like, right. I'm not saying he wasn't good at it. I just, I just remember um, one of our mutual friends showing me a NUMA video for the first time, and I, I remember... I had, <laughs> I was like hanging on to the words. Well, uh, so, I mean, it was super hip and it, they were, it, those There's were the, YouTube
1: videos before YouTube, yeah. you know, those
0: were the days where people right. were talking about like the oil crisis and like, he's wearing glasses that have more petroleum in them than <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you know, you know, your glasses of your glasses and your shoes have more right, petroleum right, in them right. than they need to, for you to be talking about the oil crisis today. But uh, anyways, I digress my point, <laughs> you know, that's what people were like questioning, like, should you really uh, buy Hershey's chocolate because? of the you know the 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 slave trade and all that kind of stuff but all the while there you know people are having handbags that are ma- I, I it was it was insane it was right. just we, it was like I get it there, there's a lot wrong with the world right. but we were trying to say one thing and get on this sort of virtue signaling mm-hmm. of of how great we are to question mm-hmm. Hershey chocolate but we're doing just as much to damage the other side of the world in the other things right. that we prefer right but during those days people were really flirting with orthodox uh, teaching and and systematic biblical theology. And I was kind of calling it out. Right. And I felt like my fellow Christians were like, right. how dare you say something about Rob Bell? You yeah. critic, you're critical, you're judgmental. And I was like... So this guy can question Orthodox Christianity, but I can't question this guy? Right, right. I was like, I'm not... I wasn't calling him a heretic in those days. No, I you was weren't. just saying it was scary. Right. But my point is that what I wasn't saying and what I will not say is that it's wrong to ask questions right. about your faith or about the Bible Of course go not. deeper. You have to do that. Nobody I know has ever done that. Now, there are people that... That do that, like get in line, stay in line. Don't ask questions. Don't say anything. Right. Yeah. Th- this is the way that it is. So I'm sorry for those that have gone through that. Yeah. I get that. I just haven't been raised in that personally. That's right. not been my path.
1: One of the best ways just to be discipled was to, to ask questions. Of Course. I mean, yeah. I sat yeah. on your couch before you even had a TV. You like you'd, you didn't even have a TV for a while. You know. That was right. Good. That was probably it, a better way of life. Uh, yeah, it was. And we'd sit. We'd sit on your couch. I remember just being in the most, one of the most vulnerable moments in, or times of my life at mm-hmm. 19, just asking every question. Mm-hmm. And we were up late talking about, mm-hmm. just, I just started reading the Bible and go, oh, I have a question about that. And I just started asking questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I grew rapidly, mm-hmm. rapidly, because I just asked questions. That's not to make me better, but I'm just to say that questions are not a problem. Mm-hmm. Doubt that brings questions is not a problem. Dealing with it is th- what we want to do. That's the key. Yeah. The problem is with deconstruction and just even, even what is his name, Campolo's? Yeah, Bart. Yeah, Campolo. Bart you know, Bart's comment is that I think deconstruction wants to f- figure out the mystery behind it all. Right. And we have to just admit that's just simply not going to happen with an eternal God. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen in any sphere. We're never going to really tr- know the true intent behind something. Like to the fullest, if, 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 when we propagate that, we do, we become a conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. You know, I know where this came from. I know, I know the truth. Everyone's like, whoa, back off, back mm-hmm. off. You're just mm-hmm. too much. But deconstruction wants to uncover mystery where mm-hmm. there was simply, we have to accept that there is some mystery mm-hmm. to the virgin birth. Like, yeah, that sounds impossible. Because it's only happened once, right? It's <laughs> Of course, it's a supernatural working of God. And right. if we believe that God is all-powerful, mm-hmm. if God is all-creator, if God is all-loving, can he do this right. for his people? That We have to answer that. Yes, he can do that. How? We won't even get those questions. We won't figure that out. Mm-hmm. But like We won't figure out the biology of this. Like How mm-hmm. did this work out? Mm-hmm. We won't. Uh, and that's okay. We just have to be okay with those things. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know. And, and so, when we go through the deconstructive dur- journey, we'll never be satisfied enough. Mm-hmm. It will lead us into a nihilistic place where, where we, we get an all-time lows because we just figure out, whoa, like, I don't even know what is up from down anymore mm-hmm. because we just. The purpose of life and truth is just to keep asking questions and, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. you know, and questions for questions sake, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and that's, that's the hard part about deconstruction that is it, it can be a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. It can definitely do that to us.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen it lead to a lot of healthy places. I have seen disciples who ask questions go to healthy places. And again, everybody has a right to do what they're going to do. But at the same time, we're just talking about what's healthy. Yeah. I personally have not seen people that engage this path uh, go to healthy places. I have seen plenty of disciples who ask lots of very hard and difficult questions go to healthy places, of course. Mm-hmm. I have questions. I, sometimes I'm, as I'm talking to people, they talk to me like I don't understand. Right. You know, it's like, well, you've never been on the path of deconstruction, or you've never... It's like, what are you talking about? Right. You're you're treating people like you right. like you have this unique experience where you're willing to do things the rest of us aren't willing to do. Actually, that's not true. You're processing it differently than I am. Right. That's true. Yeah. But it doesn't make what you're doing more authentic right. and more real. It doesn't mean that a person who's willing to like say, hey, that's not true. Right. It doesn't mean that you're more true to you know. The path of learning. right? I I, th- I think everybody handles things differently, mm-hmm. and I think we're living in a different time where there's a lot of challenges. There's, there's a lot of people that are influenced. We're influenced by a lot of our culture. We're influenced by a lot of modern philosophy. We're influenced by our hurts and our pains. In fact, I just want to actually go down that path for a little bit, because uh, one of the things I did was I sat down and I wrote out like 10 things, like how do people get to the place, how do we get to the place where we start to deconstruct. Right. Like, How do we get on the road of deconstruction to begin mm-hmm. with? Because nobody just wakes up and says, well, I just want to challenge my faith and everything traditional and all things orthodox and every person that's an right. authority figure in my right. life. I just want to challenge all that because I'm not sure that I care or want to believe anything anymore. Like nobody like, wakes up like right, that, right, right? Right, right? You get on that path for a reason. And I don't have all the answers to that, but I wrote down some. And the first one that I thought of is is as I've walked with people is a tragedy happens. Right. So let's just say like a loss of a spouse mm-hmm. or a family member, a death occurs, a sickness, a debilitating sickness, mm-hmm. cancer or something that won't leave you easily, that you right. have to walk with chronic pain. Right. Chronic pain is a voice in and of itself. Oh yeah. I, when you see Job in the story of Job, where he loses his family, essentially, and then after he loses his family, the enemy is allowed to touch his physical body. Well, once that happens, he starts to say things that he didn't say before. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've sort of believed that when you read that, the story of Job is a lot of our own stories Right, going through loss, you have spiritual warfare, yeah. uh, things you don't understand that are going on behind the scenes, health issues. And then in the midst of that, you're grappling with who God is. I think the story of Job is really a lot of our stories, maybe in part, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. a story of life. And you're trying to figure out what you believe and stay true to God. God is good. uh, God is holy. God is righteous. Um, I think that I haven't done anything to get to where I am. Job was holding on to that. like uh, He was holding on like, I haven't done this. And then his friends thought he did. His friends were trying to say, well, what did you do to come right. here or get to this place? And that was their theology. So you're grappling with all kinds of different theologies, and that's getting questioned, and you're getting frustrated by it. But then in the midst of that, at the end of the story, uh, Job... S- has a revelation of God, and he said, "I heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you, right. and I repent." Yeah. What did he repent for? He re- he repented for a lot of the way he was thinking um, about God. Mm-hmm. I now I, he said, "Now I've seen you. Mm-hmm. Not I'm corrected in some of my thoughts and my journey of getting. Like I've seen you. I didn't think properly about you. I didn't see you the right way, and because of that, I said a lot of things or did some things that." I wouldn't otherwise do. And that's a lot of our journey. At the end of it, we want to see God. At the end of it, we want to experience God in a greater way to bring us to a deeper place. Right. The story of Job is tragic, and, and that's true for us. When we physically are dealing with something, or when we lose someone, and we begin to pray. right? We begin to pray. We believe God. How many of us are believing God for healing or transformation or right. something, uh, some tragedy, uh, we didn't plan for. People think about planning your life, right? right and, yeah. and God's good. God blesses me. This is all good. How many of us have testified to the goodness of God in some kind of area of our life? Like maybe we were uh, financially, we were doing great. And we say, bless God. He's blessed me. I'm doing great. And then bam, everything turns around and now you don't have any money. Right. You've got month, but you've got no money. And what you used to say was, bless God, he's taking care of me, he's providing for me. Now you don't have enough. And in that situation, you begin to ask questions. And sometimes your asking of questions can get you to a place where you're questioning God, right. not just asking questions of God. So i found tragedy is one of mm-hmm. the ways, uh, and difficulty, pain is one of the ways that we get, um, we get onto this path. Uh, potentially, What else do you think? Have you seen? You know, I mean, you walk with a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think <clears throat> primarily with this season, which was a unique season. I'm just right. going to focus in on 2020. People left church, and then they they read or they watched what people comment about church. Yeah. And they create a caricature of what they actually had an experience of, and it morphed in their mind. Mm-hmm. So pastors are are not caring about people because yeah, sure. of X, Y, and Z, you know. Right. And so you've seen, like I've seen, people go, well, you're this way. I go, well, when have we talked about that? Mm-hmm. You've, we've no- I just hear it through people. They don't even talk to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm okay. Like, they're going to make their choice and, okay, I, I'm going to do my best to reach out to them and love them and do, do what I can. But at some point, you go, like, we can clear up this caricature that you have created in your mind um, by just sitting down with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to do that. But uh, ultimately it is uh, that aside, I think a one big thing is like the church hurt problem, the church trauma problem, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is very true. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone who's been a part of a church has been deeply hurt by people. So have I. Yeah,
0: I have too. I don't know why people don't think I haven't.
1: Like you don't understand really. Yeah. But yeah, I also I get church, it. We get hurt, you I, know? oh, people have yeah. made me really frustrated mm-hmm. and I've been disillusioned by how people have treated me, um, especially as a young man and all those things. But at the same time, church has been where I've experienced the most generosity, mm-hmm. the most grace, the most care I've mm-hmm. ever experienced, mm-hmm. like even in, in, in things that, that they've had to call me out on, you know, like there's just, I'm a sinner and I've mm-hmm. affected uh, the church poorly even before I was a pastor Mm -hmm. and I've had to take correction Mm -hmm. and I've seen, when I look back retrospectively, I go, wow, that was grace. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for those moments. Even if some things weren't done perfectly, I saw the intent of grace behind it. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I mean, for my family, my, my wife, and she's very open with her, her struggles, but has had a lot of mental health. And so when people talk about mental health and how the church has not been a safe place for those struggling with mental health, uh, uh, our story is the very opposite. Mm-hmm. The very opposite. Our pastors, including you, have run to our aid. Have mm-hmm. not belittled us. You have helped us and told us. You know we've we've leaned on your voices. What do we do in these moments? Mm-hmm. And we've seen the beautiful parts of church, as uh, and and very we've seen very minimal of the broken parts. I'm not trying to diminish anyone else's story. Mm-hmm. I know there's places that are horrific and mm-hmm. pastors who should not be pastors they should quit a long time ago mm-hmm. they should have been removed there's toxicity and all of that oh man there definitely is uh but but it doesn't mean that jesus's vision for the church is not his vision for the world right mm-hmm. there's still something beautiful that god is trying to create in his body mm-hmm. And so we start deconstructing because we have a bad experience and we go, oh, man, they don't look like what the scriptures say. So this must not be all true. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I wonder if it is true. And then they go down the road, but they stop trusting voices that can be trustworthy. And um, and so they just go on their own journey, and usually when you isolate yourself and you keep a lot of questions, you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd find yourself in. Well, church hurts like a... This is a big
0: topic, right? right like, right. it's a huge... Like, yeah. yeah. Um, it comes up a lot, right. and uh, there's a lot I could say about it, but it does cause many to get on this path right. to deconstruct their faith because they begin to question what they once trusted. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's the reality is that I was public humiliated publicly humiliated one time in a church publicly, and that was that was very difficult mm. for me. you know I was twenty three years old, I remember it like it was yesterday wow. um, I, you know i won 't go through it, but yeah it was it was terrible, right but I look back on the situation as i 've gotten older, and the situation that occurred was not thought through. The people that did it weren 't intentional it wasn 't premeditated i 've forgiven them, my heart is clean um, but I could have just—honestly, that could have, after giving, uh, after giving myself to many things uh, in Scripture and in uh, Christian practice and church, I could have—that could have been a defining moment for me. I look back and I realize that same situation, uh, except by the grace of God, could have easily led me or anybody else into a very downward spiral. Right. Um, that's one of the situations that I can look back and say, I can understand how a person can get hurt in a church or by in, in a church context and go, to heck with this. Right. I get that. I really, really do. And so I'm not shaming people that have to grapple with, why did this happen? I also think when I was a young man, younger man, I came to church and I thought leaders should be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so they let me down every single time. Oh yeah, Every leader I've ever had always let me down. But I realized... Part of the reason they let me down wasn't that they sinned against me. It's that I thought that because they, they heard the voice of God or prophesied or they knew Scripture or they taught, that they also weren't uh, working in progressive sanctification. Which, again, Christian theology needs to be deeply rooted and embedded into our own lives and understood. The more I've come to understand that we're all in a sanctifying process, that we're all becoming conformed to the image of Christ, I have to apply that to every person. Now, Mm -hmm. there are biblical qualifications for an elder, but I have to ask the question when I look at someone's life, does this disqualify them, or does it just mean they had a bad moment? Right. So by God's grace, I think I qualify as an elder, but I'm the first to say, I have issues that I have to deal with, that I have to pray through, that my wife is 24 hours a day, you know, she. I called marriage 24-hour accountability. <laughs> that's probably not the right way to do it. But, like, you know, you, when you sleep you next get to somebody, anything, you can't get away yeah. with, like, any noise right, or right. anything. You you're trying to sneak
1: Oreos at 2 a.m., you know? It's like, what is that, right? Yeah. I'm just saying, no, my you're problem. Dredging. Shut, you know. I'm just saying my shut problem. Shut this I down.
0: Just, I was going to say shut up, but that's conversation with Ben Dixon. We don't roll like See, that. See, we're but, just talking like, about qualifications, you, you know.
1: So, church
0: pain <laughs> is real. And I think there's reason and it does help it does enable people to get on this path of of deconstructing their faith n- not necessarily in a positive way uh, but a lot of the reasons for me thinking through this and as i've walked with people i i i think that it's not just church pain um sometimes we come into a church context for healing and then we get battered mm-hmm. and bruised mm-hmm. in a situation that happens. Right. Um, a lot of times it be, it is because we have certain expectations that we bring to the table. We could have had that from family of origin. We could have heard that from a sermon. Pastor Ben, you said God wants to use us for anything and I want to preach and you're not telling me I can. And right. I'm like, right, let's get you to lead a Bible study faithfully for a year. And then let's move you to the youth group. And then let's have you do right. that for a period of time. Right. Like we, Like, I'm not saying God can't... Like, we often associate things in our mind in a way that others aren't aware of. Right. And those become expectations... And they get let down, right? And then pe- we villainize one another. Now I've done it just like anybody else, so I totally get it. But right. this actually does lead people to start questioning everything. Right. They start questioning the sermon. They start right. questioning. Uh, I've had a lot of people question you. Start questioning me. Do you really mean what you say? Do you really believe right. what you preach? Right. Um, all of that stuff. Like right. the season of COVID was absolutely that. Do you really love people? Right? Are you a hired hand? Are you a charlatan? Are you somebody that's just? Uh, and 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 here's the overwhelming answer is like. I've had to work this out, too. Right. I have. I, this has been hard. Right. Yeah. Um, we have to do soul searching. Amen. But the concept of church and family it is, is, is powerful to me. Right. And, and like you said, um, sometimes when people will bring up church, maybe we'll do a whole podcast on church difficulty. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if I like to use the word trauma, like clinically. Right. Right. No, totally. But, um, it's just
1: the buzzword right now. Yeah, it
0: is. It is. But like, I totally understand that. And there, there are, when you have the larger the church, the more room there is to get hurt, mm-hmm. honestly. Oh yeah. Cause there's just, I don't know everybody in our church. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they're struggling through. I don't know what they're saying to people. Sometimes I hear about it and I'm like, who said what to who? Right. Is that really what happened? Right. Um, so it, it is real. And I think in the midst of that, we're trying to paint this beautiful picture of what Jesus can do and is doing, and it's hard to get everyone's mind to see that and everyone's eyes to, to see that in the midst of th- pain, painful things happening. It isn't to say painful things won't happen or difficulty won't come. It's to say that God can take that and He can conform us to His image. He can do with that what the world cannot do. We can forgive, we can love, we can choose to see each other without labels. That's a choice. It's a choice to follow yeah. Scripture. It's a, it's a choice to see each other better than our last worst day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All of that is true. And I've had to grapple with it, and so have you, but um, I, I just can remember as a young man having really high expectations, walking through the pain of being let down, um, and then coming to the realization that the church is full of people that are on the sanctifying path. right? And that having doctrine, understanding doctrine helped me a lot. It, yeah. it tremendously helped me because I realized we're all in this together. We're all in this together and we have to own our faith at a doctrine, not just because we have the right beliefs. That's not what I'm saying, like propositional truth. If you ascribe to propositional truth, everything works out. No, mm-hmm. but you do need to know truth. Right. You do have to know it because that does help your experience when it doesn't pan out the right way. Another thing I wanted to segue into was sometimes the beliefs that we hold don't pan out the way that Mm -hmm. we're told. Right. The things that... Like, for example, if we believe in healing or we believe in prayer, um, personal transformation. I had a friend who struggled with pornography for, I think, three to five years. I don't know. He got saved right about the same time I did. And as God dealt with all of our sexuality and all that, um, you know, the Lord gave me a certain level of purity right. a lot quicker mm-hmm. than for him. And he, I didn't know he had a very deep-seated porn addiction. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, two of my very closest friends had very deep-seated porn addictions, and they never told me. So that was one issue was like, I actually yeah. never knew until it blew up. Hmm. One of my friends fully deconstructed his faith, lost everything underneath it. He had a, an addiction to pain medication mm. and porn addiction, deep porn addiction. Yeah. I didn't know he, I'm his one of his best friends. He never told me. I actually found out my friend had these addictions when he, when it blew up. Right. And I was really angry. Actually, I was really angry at him. And so now he's fully deconstructed his faith. Nothing. He doesn't believe any of it. Uh, and some of that came from the pain of his childhood, but I was angry at him because I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. Like, I and I remember confessing some of my own like lustful thoughts to him as a young guy. Like, we're praying together. I'm confessing some of my lustful thoughts to him, and he he didn't tell me he had this deep mm. porn addiction. And I'm like, well, what were all those years of me telling you what right, I was going through? Right. So I was kind of, I was really offended and I was really confused because this is one of my closest
1: friends. Yeah, it wasn't like you're not, like you are you are you are a safe place. I mean, you were, being I was telling and, him my own right, stuff. Right, right. Totally.
0: Yeah. And, and that was confusing.
1: Like, right. Why did I bear my soul
0: to you and you not even open, like pop the cork to me? Right. So again, I'm not trying to blame him. I just, it was confusing to yeah, me. Yeah. Like, why did you process the same truth that we both had, like we were there praying together, we were reading the scripture, the Bible says, confess your, your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed, and I'm giving you mine, right? and in exchange, you're barely giving me anything. right? And it was confusing. Anyways, that was the first, uh, that was one situation. Another friend of mine struggled with a deep-seated porn addiction for like three to five years, and I can remember sitting with him in my car one day, talking with him, and he, he literally said to me, he goes, God can't change me. I've prayed, I've believed, God can't change me. I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. Wow. And I was so shocked. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, to me, it was going from zero to 60 yeah. in a second. Right. Because I'd walked with this person for a long time and his life was totally changed by God. So this addiction that he had, um, that I wasn't really aware of that much, it, it, it was part of like this you know, eroding foundation and it was just eating at him. And I, I didn't know that. Like I, Mm -hmm. I would have been praying with him and helping him and believing him. And like he, my freedom in the Lord that, that God gave me by his grace, I didn't have freedom in every, you know, every single issue, but in that issue was kind of like this disdain. Mm -hmm. So he kind of held me at a distance because Mm -hmm. of what God did in me and didn't do in him. Mm -hmm. So for him, he started to deconstruct his faith or fully did We didn't call it that back then. Right. But he just walked away from God because he was like, this isn't true. Right. Because it hasn't happened to me. Right. So when a belief doesn't fully pan out, instead of walking in that moment by moment transformation, week by week, uh, year by year, and contending for that change, not in this beating yourself up, but like, understanding that you're the righteousness of God in Christ right. and believing that what Jesus paid for was not only for, for you to be forgiven, but cleansed. And it does take some people longer right. to walk through sanctification. But we often forget the other things that God took out of our life. right? right. And that's what I tried to tell my friend before he totally walked away from the Lord. And um, I said, look, you've been changed. So many areas of your life are different. Yeah. I mean, things that you've done for God, this, there's so much change, but it was that area that was eating and, and right. eroding, and he's like, I can't live with this, right. and I don't believe this anymore. And so I'm just bringing that up because I've, I've watched how the lack of, of healing or unanswered mm-hmm. prayer or mm-hmm. none of this can be true. Like, right. I, I remember a couple—I'm taking up all our time. No, no, you're good. This is Conversations <laughs> with, ben <Dixon. laughs> with Ben Dixon, But today it's with Trevor Lawyer. Yes. But I had, a, I had a, a couple one time, and this is where, you know, being a Pentecostal charismatic Christian, we believe in the power of God and all of that, but we don't overlook the process. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've had people size me up and say, well, you believe in miracle signs, wonders, automatic immediate healing and deliverance, like you don't have to walk through anything. That's so not true. Okay, so yes, we pray for people to be delivered of of massive sins uh, that are cycles that they can't rid themselves of because we need God to help us. So I do believe in freedom, but I don't lack a process, like an understanding of progressive sanctification. And so I've been indicted for that, like over the years many times i remember one couple and they just like i mean this is just funny but they ended up writing something about it like their experience with ben dixon i don't i don't remember i don't recommend that you go look this up but there was <laughs> <laughs> there are things if you did look it up there might be so somebody sent me a blog that a person a couple had written wow. about my, me wow. and my ministry yeah whatever anyways and it was like how the The overarching thing was how Pentecostals are just out of their minds. Mm-hmm. They think God is just this genie in a bottle. And, and then so they brought up this scenario with me, which was completely false. And I mean, again, once again, no communication, did, weren't willing to talk to me about it. All of that was evidence, and I'm not trying to justify myself, but no, I was totally. so shocked when I read it, I thought, guys, you could just literally have an appointment with me and discuss this with me. And clear it up in the You listen to two sermons right. and you thought, you're an, you're an right. idiot, or right. whatever they, they thought about me. Uh, but none of what they said was was true, and I was like, well, gosh, at least get it right. right? right. If you're going to publish <laughs> yeah. something, at least get it right. i you Disagree. Yeah, if you disagree and you're a cessationist, okay, fine, we can okay. disagree, but like right. at least fully represent my beliefs. But I do think, once again, I think that sometimes we hear a sermon or a teaching and we assume that's the fullness of theology. Right. And we go, that's not my experience. So all of this is a sham. Right. Which, again, could lead to understanding their superficiality in our own understanding of what the Bible even teaches. So we're throwing out not what the Bible teaches, but we're throwing out what we think it teaches. Right. Right. Instead of going in deep and saying, what does it teach? What does it say? What am I supposed to believe here? Which is, again, inspection and introspection and theological question rather than deconstruction. All of that being a healthy thing. But instead of doing that, we're going to go deconstruction because it's easier Mm -hmm. to just literally throw myself to the flesh. And let's just be honest. Like at some point... The flesh is the easier option. 100%. I could say that right. for myself. The flesh is an easier option. It's easier to fly off and get angry than right. pray for those who despitefully use me. Right. Yeah. And I've wrestled with that. Like, yeah, I want to just say, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, I want to say, I don't really see the point in this. But when I read the words of Jesus, it leads me a different path. And I have to struggle with that. Right. It's not like automatic. Right. That's why you need the words. Right. Right. <laughs> like the words are there. To lead us on a better path. Yeah. But anyways, I, w- I've got like 10 things I told you. <laughs> I, they're all podcast worthy. Well, I think
1: part of that too is, is you know, like the old ex- the, the expression, I remember hearing it all the time when people were evangelizing me, you know, like the devil owns the fence. Like, are you on the fence with Jesus? Like, I don't, the don't devil, preach. The That's devil owns the fence. The devil owns the fence. Right. You can't be on there. And I see... Can I <laughs> oh, use yeah, that? Oh, yeah. We so just... I don't know. I didn't originate it. Good. I mean, I did. It's really good. Quote me. It's trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, No, but like, uh, but we, there's a lot of people who have unattended faith Hmm. in their life. And when they do, when they have a belief and they have maybe the upbringing, but it's, it's been like a secondary to other things in their life growing up. Hmm. So for example, Fuller did a study on what was, when they watched people walk away from Jesus, was it, was it because college? Was it because the universities taught them? Was it what what was it? What was the key factor? What they said was families who do not make church and faith a priority. Mm-hmm. So that means in our in our world, people will say, Well, we got soccer on Sunday morning. We can't make it. We or, or my kid can't go to youth group. Not that church. Brings about uh, the only right, way right. to be One, saved. Yeah, yeah. But you, when you're a disciple, you build your life around the priorities of what a disciple is. And we can look in the scriptures and say: Bible, prayer, worship, uh, community, together, mission with Jesus. Those are just five essential, quick things mm-hmm. that we should build our life around. Yeah, and your and when, family, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and when you are when you have that secondary to other things, other um, activities in your life, mm-hmm. work and enjoyment and other things like that there becomes a lack of a priority. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, when you have a lack of priority, it's like the deal's done when you get to the university, and they start hearing all these other ideologies, and you go... Well, it's secondary anyway Mm -hmm. to my life, so I'm going to throw this out, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just easier to live in that place. And what we're having to deal with right now as the church is that churches that aren't missional in this COVID weird moment that's kind of going to last a long time, Mm -hmm. churches who aren't missional and helping people live on mission with Jesus and make Jesus the primary thing in their life will die. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're, they're saying this. this mm-hmm. These are things coming out right they're now. They're already dead.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, and that's the manifestation. You're, de- you're dead if you're not on
1: mission with Jesus. right? And, but a lot of Churches. the church, right? Yeah. I and mean, we've served the church and we are merciful to people in process who are, you know, slowly getting on track with Jesus and mm-hmm. slowly getting involved. We loved, We love everyone who walks in, even the most consuming people. We try to love them best you know, when they come into our churches. But, it, but a disciple is, is not, they're a consumer of God's word, mm-hmm. but they're a, an active participant mm-hmm. and uh, that that is willing to count the cost for Jesus, mm-hmm. willing to surrender their will to Jesus to mm-hmm. do whatever he asks them to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we need that part of people because right. those who are in that on the fence, lukewarm or living s- their faith secondary, it's just it's easy to take the back door out, like you said, of f- the flesh is always the easier way. Right. And when there's a clearer line in the sand in these days that we're in, it's just going, okay, well, <laughs> I'm I'm just trying to look for comfort. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just gonna go wherever comfort is or you know, they just follow their temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that that can happen a lot of times. and it's not so much doubt, it's just the path of least resistance you know, and they, so they deconstruct, so they don't have to be accountable to something they once believed. Deconstruction becomes an option
0: to kind of justify where you're at. Exactly. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. No, that, that, it's not something I thought about, but that's really, that's really true and very important to understand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so yeah, I think we, we need to think, help people. What
0: about like young people? Like, for example, when you're, I came to Christ when I was 19 and n- hardly anybody at the moment did, but then there were two people that did r- right in that time, and then multiple, like six months, seven months later. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can remember the first time I ever went to a young adult group, just as a way of illustration. I went to a young adult group, and like literally after the young adult group, I'm not even old enough to drink alcohol, and everybody goes to Sherry's. That's Sherry's back mm-hmm. in the day. Sherry's. You know, if your name is Sherry, we're sorry. But, Whew. Yeah. Uh, I know there is a Sherry that I deeply love, and you're watching this, I love you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's very true. But after the young adult group, everybody went to Sherry's, and all of those folks that were over 21 went into the bar, and they, for the most part, got hammered. Mm-hmm. And they weren't just having a beer, they got hammered. It was mm-hmm. like, let's go worship and hear the word, whatever Whatever the group was like. This is my first time doing a young adult group. <laughs> and I came out of drugs, alcohol, and sexual sin. right. And now I'm at church and I'm like, and, and I hadn't gone to a young adult group for a while as, as a Christian. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I didn't right. know church culture. So I go to a young adult group and then I'm, I, I go into the one part of Sherry's that I could go into and, and to get something to eat with this group of people I didn't know. And then I looked at the larger majority group, went to the bar to get smashed. And I thought, I don't need church to do this. Like, right. I, right. I, so like I could tell <laughs> they, there were a lot of people in that group that were on their way To whatever that was. I don't know why they were doing what they were doing or whatever, but I was literally like offended because I was, I got, came out of that life. Right. And I think the difference was, is there were people that were raised in church and they were going to church all the time, but it wasn't like their own faith. Right. Okay. So then like you're confronted. Like, Mm -hmm. so for me, I didn't i didn 't have my own faith, like from the time I was twelve thirteen I was doing doing drugs and drinking. so then when I woke up, when Jesus got me, mm-hmm. it was a supernatural shift, right so then you take a guy like me and mm-hmm. you bring me to the young adult group, and i 'm not jiving with anybody i right. 'm like, what is going on? you know right. And, and yeah, I had to deal with like self-righteousness and all that stuff, because, but really the, there was the grace of God that changed me, right. and now I'm trying to find a group of people that want to pray and read the Bible and all this stuff that I would never be caught dead doing a year ago. <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. I'm in church five times a week. All of my friends thought I was a nut. Right. Like, you're like, you just have an addictive personality, and now you've put all your addiction on this God figure. And right. I'm like, not, you know, it's just super <laughs> weird, you know? It was like, that's what I was told. I was, literally, I was working in a company, and a gal behind me was like, Hindu, yogi, I don't know what her deal... Was. Like, she was super like... Eastern thing and meditative and all that. She she was like, you know, I meditate every day to get my peace and all this. It's just just how she was. But she was always irritable. And she told me, she was like, I have to meditate every day uh, to get my peace. And I was like, okay, I don't, I've never had to do that, but like, you're still not that peaceful. You know, I don't (laughs) know if anybody's ever told you that, but like, like you should, did you not stay in the sauna for an extra half an hour? Like, so, so in her mind, everybody needed to do when, sorry, no, I, just, I mean, it was horrible uh, she right. I was not twenty years old, and this woman that worked behind me was like you know ten years older than me and i'm I'm a brand new christian and I'm trying to like love her, and she's patronizing me like every day for me totally f- from a very you know because of my beliefs. And she believed that the stuff she practiced gave, made her peaceful and she was everything but that. And I thought, can you not see the problem here, lady? Like I literally have to dread coming to work and pray for you every day, just to overcome your lack of peace. When you're trying to convince me to get peace, I got to do what you're doing. I think not. What you're selling, I'm not buying. Uh, Sorry, that was therapeutic. Um, But that was my first uh, year Of Christianity. And since I came in and I got radically changed, and I'm trying to figure out like what's going on with me, and I'm looking for people to help me with that. And then I go to this group of people, and I'm like, well, they're not going to be able to help me because they're Mm -hmm. going down a road that I came out of. But what I didn't know then, and I know now, is that they were more raised in the church. And so as a result of that, they had to come to own their faith, right? Mm -hmm. So they're sowing their wild oats and whatever. And and they had to walk to this place of like, what do I believe? What is true? How do I practice Christianity? They hadn't gone through the things that I had gone through. It doesn't mean they hadn't gone through temptation right. or life or had challenges. Right. But I came out of a certain way of life, and they're flirting with that way of life. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people that grew up in the church and have always had kind of that maybe potentially like a, a, a little bit of a bubble... Mm-hmm they go to university or whatever and they have their their faith gets challenged when they're 21 and now they can go drink right. their faith is challenged right when they're faced with friends who are uh you know influencing them in strongly in other things saying hey this stuff isn't really that bad why are you such a prune what's your deal they're getting challenged and it actually shows what how strong your faith is not not how you know awesome you are but like are you invested in the Bible? Are you invested in prayer? Are you invest like are are you walking with God in a way, or has He changed you enough in a way right. where it's gonna land when you're tested? Right. So, I had to watch other people go through that, but I came out of something into this. Right. Other people had to walk through that transformative process, and I just wonder if there are people watching today, and you're younger, and you have to own your faith for yourself. The thing I would advise is be careful who you listen to, because I think the enemy is highly invested in people's demise and destruction, and there's a part of this that we haven't discussed and probably won't have time for, and that is there are demonic powers, and part of the way right. that the enemy comes against us is ideological warfare, right. not just culturally, but even right. personally, sowing seeds of doubt, right. seeds of thought that would lead us down another path. Doubt is an experience that we all have, but unbelief is a practice, and the enemy wants to get us to a place where we literally disbelieve, and we're living out unbelief, and we don't subscribe to anything Christian or or, or anything close to it, for that matter, and there's an element... Of spiritual warfare right. that some don't want to acknowledge. And that's part of why the naturalistic, intellectual, philosophical side won't bring that right. up because right. then it's like, well, you're scapegoating this entire right. conversation right. by saying it's a demon behind right. every rock. That's not what that's I'm no, saying. No, no, no. Yeah. But I am watching young people get attacked. For example, if nine out of 10 young people, young men in particular, are literally not just flirting with pornography, but they're looking at it. When they go to church, they're feeling guilty every time a preacher reminds them of walking in a holy way. And so instead of actually dealing with their own sin and saying, God help me, they're saying, well, that person, that preacher must have his own issues. That's deflection. That's blame. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Instead of saying, asking the question, how did you get free? Right, right which requires humility. Right, right. The option of the flesh is to like, say, everybody else is a liar. Right. Right. And there are some, you can find people who hidden the closet and they had that secret life of sin and they committed that adulterous affair and they were addicted mm-hmm. to pornography and they didn't really get free and they were living a duplicitous life. You can find those examples, not just in the church, but anywhere. You can find them at Walmart and Fred Myers and, right. you know, yeah. so I'm just saying that like, when you're young you and you grew up in the church, you have to find a way to own your faith. And challenging your faith is... Bu- start by going deeper. Study something you don't understand. Right. I, I don't understand, like, transformation. Pastor Ben, you talked about freedom, but, like, I'm not free. Right. Okay, well, here's 15, 20 right. Bible verses. Study the context. Pray about this. Have you confessed your sin? Have you practiced the Bible? Not because I'm trying to make you feel guiltier, but I'm just trying to say, like... In an honest way, if we're going to test the tenets of the faith, you have to at least appreciate and understand what they are and ask yourself if you practice them, because if you haven't, you can't challenge the truth of something if you haven't understood it and practiced it. Right, right, right. And then if you have, you need to get outside consultation by right. a trustworthy source. Yeah, get humbled. I
1: mean, you just gotta humble yourself. And say, have I right. done the
0: right thing? right. Because right. I've needed that. Like, I call friends, right now, I call friends when I make decisions based on Scripture and say, did I do the right thing?
1: Why do I do that? Right. Because I want to make sure I'm seeing this the right way. Right. I, right. Because I, I can, we can miss the mark. We can just miss we, it when we're isolated. I've missed the mark, right. man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, lots of things,
0: um, but young people have to understand their faith. They have yeah. to come to appreciate their own faith.
1: And I think that realizing, just to even cap the demonic thing, that, you know, we, we look... We look for temptations as what are physical, earthly pleasures, and that we're tempted by pleasures, but we are tempted also by ideologies. We're tempted. The enemy uses those to bring them Mm -hmm. into a a different way of thinking. It's tempting to us, just like maybe being uh, a temptation of pleasure would be, you know, and... Some people are more than others tempted to go to. I know some. I have some friends who are just really sensitive, and so the the real progressive movement. The I mean, we'll open a even more a, a, a bigger a bigger jar here, but um, I, I've seen them question so much because they're just they're so like they lean towards a level of compassion um, that is like I want to make sure everyone feels fully accepted. And so I'm tempted to let go of boundary lines of truth. And they're constantly tempted to do that. And we go, well, you need to know that temptation. So when we talk about purity, Mm -hmm. for example, we say, well, how do you make sure you live in purity Mm -hmm. in a righteous way? You you put up some good fences in your life Mm -hmm. and bring up accountability. Well, the same thing with some of these ideologies. Yeah, let's ask these questions. Well, why do we not equate love with acceptance? You know, all the questions that we have today, which is another podcast. But, you know, just create some healthy boundaries and healthy conversations. And, and most of the pastors I know, if not all that I know that I have a relationship with, will accept your questions it's mm-hmm. not going to—you you won't be put to shame yeah. with the doubts or the right. temptations you carry, you know? Oh, true. I mean,
0: I met with a, a young guy in my office. He's an, he, he considers himself an atheist, and he spent about an hour challenging my beliefs, some of which, by the way—and I totally appreciated the fact that he met with me. So right? if you're watching, uh, thank you for meeting with me. I thought that was not only courageous of you, but respectful. Um, he challenged—you challenged, if you're watching. I'm assuming he's watching— I, Yeah, maybe, Uh, but challenged my beliefs, and uh, and that was that was kind of interesting to me. And there were a lot of beliefs that he challenged that I don't hold. Right, so he was kind of just saying like, "Hey, uh, I won't get into it." But, (laughs) but there were (laughs) that is another podcast. But there, but again, there's the assumption that like you're, you know, what you believe about creationism and what you believe about scripture and what is literal, what isn't Mm -hmm. literal, and all those kinds of things. And so he kind of saw it as he saw me as a conservative Christian without asking me any questions. And that's another. Um, that's really another issue, by the way, is, is that we don't ask a lot of questions. Now, he was in my office, and so it gave me the opportunity to challenge back what he thought I believed. And I was able to do that, and then he kind of didn't... Uh, to be honest with you, I think he just didn't know what to do with some of my different... I was like, well, I don't believe that. And I don't... Actually, a lot of people I know don't believe that. So it was an assumption. So that usually means that you're listening to voices outside of who you should be asking. Yeah. Now, again, let me let me just say a thing that I think is really important. One of the ways, primary ways that people get on the path of deconstruction is that they listen in a, in a heavy way. They listen to voices of people that just don't believe Jesus at all. Right. Okay. So for for example, when I was a youth pastor um, and I'm going to back up, probably one of the main reasons, one of the reasons why I don't struggle with the deconstruction option, not that I don't have questions, not that I don't ever have mm-hmm. doubts, not that I don't ever have to grapple and wrestle with stuff. I do. I do. Everybody I know does. But the reason I'm not like the option of like, I don't believe God created everything anymore, like why I don't go down those roads, I think has a lot to do with the fact that I don't open myself up to... I underst- I seek to read about philosophy, uh, philosophical thought, ideological understandings, I try to read that stuff uh, s- certain theories but I because I want to understand it but I don't I don't literally spend my hours listening to people who are, right. you know, who preach, just like if you listen to me, preach the Bible, who preach their own Bible, you yeah. know, in like a different... deconstruction is yeah, the way to truth. I don't, I don't, truth. I don't yeah. spend my... So, right. what I learned was who we, the voices in our life affect the choices of our life. I've mm-hmm. learned that principle, it's very true. When I was a youth pastor, it was so difficult for me to even close to be a youth pastor. This, it, it, Honestly, it was a horrible experience, and this is <laughs> this is why. It wasn't because I didn't love the kids. I did, but I felt like I couldn't help them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had, I had literally had an hour and a half on every Monday night. I don't know why our group was on Monday nights, but it was. Every Monday night, I had an hour and a half with the kids. In that time, I'm supposed to, we're supposed to figure out worship. We didn't have a worship leader. We're supposed to figure out worship. We're supposed to have some kind of fun, some kind of game time. I want to provide them snacks, because you're supposed to just give them as much sugar as possible, and then you're supposed to give some meaningful, relevant word that's going to change, transform their lives, and help them understand a robust theology, (laughs) right? No. Then Sunday, they go to church with their family, and they were also, on Sundays, put into youth group with me. So I get twice a week. Most of the time on Sundays, they weren't awake, okay? I mean, literally their eyes were crusty shut. And crusty <laughs> And and you know, especially the kids that did athletics, they were just like, why am I here? You know, right. like, you know, Bible, Jesus, eternal life. I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, trying, I was trying to help. Salvation. Them. Yeah. Yeah, those are you know. the pastors' kids. So I was trying to help people. And and I, you know, honestly, honestly, I always feel like I failed at being a youth pastor. I really mean that. Like I if if I qualified ministry or if I thought my future had anything to do with ministry. And I based that on my being a youth pastor. I would have quit midway. Uh, But thank God for his grace. I'm The kids would come to my youth group and I would talk to them about purity. And the rest of the week, they were listening to music that said, have sex, have a lot of sex, and here's how much, here's how sex can look. They're listening to music in their earphones while they're at youth group. Yeah about this sexualized, rebellious stuff, right? So let's call it an ideology. It's not just music, friends. It's an ideology. They're watching stuff that's telling them all that. Their parents allow them to do all that stuff and listen to all that stuff. Like, it's not matters. Like, we put bars on windows in bad neighborhoods, but we don't put any, like, restrictions on internet. (laughs) You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, uh, Because that's where they're getting... That's where they're really getting hurt and affected. They're listening to, they're watching to, their friends are acting this out. They're in secret. They're doing this. Many of the boys were on pornography, feeling guilty, making fun of all those kinds of things. They don't want to talk about it. They're scared to death. I caught one of them actually literally on a pornographic site when I went to go meet him at his house. That's how addicted he was, that he was willing to like be on the computer in the house with his parents in the other room and I'm literally walking up to the front door and the blinds were open and I saw him on, like, it was horrific. Like, and I had to tell his parents and they hardly did anything about it. So I thought being a youth pastor is horrible (laughs) because I'm sorry for youth pastors, but you have to find a new strategy. And, uh, and I honestly, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I was a father of two teenage boys at the same time, and I'm trying to parent the two teenage boys, and I'm trying to be a youth pastor. The culture, friends, the world, the Internet was all telling them, just in the issue of purity, have sex as much as you want in crazy, grotesque ways. Then Ben Dixon, youth pastor, is saying, live in purity God's, be- God's blessing and God's best is found in your obedience to Him and to His Word. He can, tr- he can transform you. He can. The influence were, s- were so heavy. I'm right. trying to paint this picture. The influences were so many and right. so heavy. When these kids came to listen to me, the only thing they felt was guilt. Yeah. The only thing that they associated with my preaching was, you are telling me something's wrong with me, and I just feel guilty, and I don't want to be around you. So they didn't want to come to church. They didn't want to listen to what I had to say, even though I was trying to... I wasn't preaching against them. I was preaching against sin, and I was trying to help them on the path of purity, reconstructionism, reconstructing your life, purifying your life. But deconstruction was an easy option because these voices were so inundating the way that they thought and the way that they lived that they couldn't conceive of another path. Right, right. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that I learned, even being a youth pastor, that you cannot have have five influences in this lane and one or half of one or some of one in this lane and 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 deal with that in a way that you're going to be successful. Right. So when sometimes people will come to me, Pastor Trevor, mm. and they'll ask me or they'll say to me, I've had people say this, and maybe you said this, you know, if the shoe fits. Pastor Ben, you just believe that if I read the Bible more and I pray more, then I'm going to be everything I should be. And I'm like, I've never said that. What I am saying is, is that if you read the scriptures and if you pray and you seek God and godly counsel and you invite these influences into your life that God has given to us, if you follow that, the chances of you becoming what the Bible teaches is great. Right. But you also have to decrease these other voices in your life. You have only so much time. You've got to choose the voices in your life, but you cannot have this inundating, these inundating voices. You cannot have all these voices blaring at you and expect to be as successful right. as we're talking about. There's right. no way. So in my life, I have to regularly turn these voices off, right. you know, and they medicate you, even just television, right? Even just too much television, it medicates you even if it's not utterly sinful. My point is just to say, sometimes getting on the path of deconstruction is just not that, um, it, it it's not that mysterious. Mm-hmm. It can simply mm-hmm. just happen because the people that you've chosen to listen to in your life in an 100%. overwhelming way are the ones that are encouraging you down this path directly or indirectly. And it isn't. And I know you can you can you can take what I'm saying right there, and you can say, "Well, you're just telling me to get in line, stay in line, keep my right. head down, right. and do what I'm told." I, I'm not actually. Right. I am saying the voices in your life affect the choices in your life. Right. Right. I, 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 and 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 be a youth pastor,
1: <laughs> and you'll find that out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a parent. Yeah, you know? or a parent. Right.
0: And 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 my hat goes off to to all the parents that are. That are trying to do that. Now, right. can we close on one last thought? Because honestly, I could bring up a lot of things. Like, why do people get on the path of deconstruction? And I want to ask, actually ask you about this. Um, I think sometimes we're, we finally deal with a, a teaching or a thought or a theological concept that never made sense to us. I think we finally start to deal with that and go, okay, I need to get to the bottom of this, but we are already sort of jaded by the time we get there, and so we're not really dealing with it as much as we are just Mm -hmm. trying to. we are throwing it out. Instead of, again, introspection, inspection, theological question, do that. Also, the LGBTQ perspectives get challenged, and a lot of people today are using that as sort of the main reason why they've got on the path of deconstruction. Uh, In other words, the church hasn't treated gay people the right way. And even their ethic of love isn't really loving. And they're there again, acceptance and love are equated to being the same thing. And we could extrapolate that hit family hypocrisy, right? Will you see a duplicity in your home, mom and dad say one thing, do another. And not just kind of like my kids aren't, they don't see me as perfect, but I actually, honestly, you can go literally. And I mean, I mean this, like you can ask my kids, uh, what our family life is like. You can, I, I actually think when you're healthy, that you're not afraid of what your children are going to say. You know what I'm saying? My kids are my kids. But like, if what we are is real, authentic, I mean, progressively being sa- not progressive Christianity, progressively walking with God, right. we're going to have our issues. My kids are not going to say that I'm perfect or my wife is perfect. We're going to have them. We should be able to be honest about them. But um, they, they, our kids should not see that full duplicity. Right, right, right. Like where I'm cussing somebody out and I'm, I'm smoking a blunt and like, yeah, know? I get
1: acting like it didn't
0: happen. Yeah. I mean, you, that, know? you know, like, and not asking for forgiveness and they <laughs> get up. My kids right. are on the front row, 1130 service, <laughs> taking notes. Dad, did you mean that? You, know, like, <laughs> yeah. you go home, right? They're, and they're like they're like comparing notes. Like Ezra is right. looking at Judah. Write that one down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to bring that up for Tuesday family devotions. <laughs> hey, Dad, did you mean to say this about You're yourself? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, I meant to say that about you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but the last the last one. can we have a little fun today? Yeah. Anyhow, the last one that I want to ask you about is intellectual conflict. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> because today I think that. Uh, a lot of the supernatural stuff is getting challenged. And mm-hmm. I would also say interpretations of the Bible mm-hmm. in, in light of modern science, I think the, and modern thought and philosophies, I think this becomes a massive problem. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, you know, I've heard a lot of deconstructionists talk about how the Bible is, it's preposterous to believe that Jonah right. and the whale, mm-hmm. you know, the, these kinds of things, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, on and on and on it right. goes. And so there's sort of this intellectual conflict that they have that wakes them up to questioning it all. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious again because I get these challenges and the interpretations of the Bible and so on. Where do you find this to be a massive opening up to a true deconstruction path? that's that's destructive. How, I think
1: <clears throat> I think it's all about uh, where where we base our our trust and authority. So. Mm. You know, Reformation, sola scriptura. You know, uh, the the Bible has this deep authority, and or does science, naturalism, materialism, whatever else isms that they're out there that we trust, Mm -hmm. right? And we have to ask the question: like, are they reliable? And Mm so, Mm -hmm. I've come to the conclusion: the Bible is. The most reliable book, historically, we can put our trust in. And we don't have time, but there is so much um, evidence that the Bible is historically accurate. Mm -hmm. And the events in the Bible are historically accurate from what we know and the metric we use to build uh, uh, history Mm -hmm. and to know whether or not things happened or not. It, It beats a lot. That's why right now no one can refute the Bible on that level. Right. On a, they try on a, to. On a general macro way. Yeah. It's yeah. always the micron. The, there's a like micron yeah. of the supernatural, right? But in terms right. of going back and, yeah. and so I've read the contradictions I've read, you know, right, I've, I've been, that. I've been looking into a Everyone lot of like, what people believe for, about that for now. 2000 yeah. years. Uh-huh. That's what we've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, be, Christians aren't dumb. Mm-hmm. There's been smart people who have asked these questions, mm-hmm. you know, before us. And I, so I think the intellectual thing is, is, who do we end up just wanting to trust as our authority it's really just bottom line of that you
0: know I, I was I was watching some lectures by a guy named Bart uh, Irwin, mm-hmm. and uh, he he writes a book called misquoting Jesus and it's kind of interesting because he does basically say if I understand him correctly he does basically say that uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of historical accuracy to the Bible and he even will uh, not deny some of these realities, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he challenges a lot of the contradictions. So I actually went through, he has this lesson on contradictions. So I went through some of those contradictions just cause I randomly wanted to, cause I, I know that we live in a time where when there's intellectual conflict, people have questions. So I wanted to see what skeptics and non-believers, he was a believer at one time and he became an atheist. And he, now he literally is an evangelist for atheism. He's, he's a massive mm-hmm. evangelist for atheism. Anti-Christian is mm-hmm. really... He's not an atheist. He's actually more of an anti-Christian atheist. And I was looking at some of his contradictions, and I was like, uh, he's a scholar? And I'm like, wow, like, I'm not a scholar, but some of these contradictions that he lists... Are actually really simple, and it didn't help his argument. Now, there were other ones that I would consider a level of mystery. He concludes, and I don't think it's fair to conclude what he does, uh, but I think his challenge is that on the other side, those who are Christians uh, pre-conclude things that can't be truly concluded on. I don't disagree sometimes with some of the things he said, but I was like, you're doing the exact thing That you're saying Christians are doing, but Christians are going with the the mountain of evidence, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas you're trying to pull out all these contradictions. But as I read, I mean, the first three ones that I did, I I should bring them next time. We should just do a Reliability of Scripture podcast. Right, right, it'll be really good. But um, I I was a little surprised that a leading scholar who wrote a book on this understands Greek and Hebrew Mm-hmm. His contradictions were solved by synoptic gospels and just having an understanding of four different pictures of the same event are going to bring about different detail. And while he understands that deeply, I was surprised of the contradictions that he brought up. I couldn't right. believe it. I'll bring those next time on a Reliability of Scripture podcast. But what I, w- what I would say, once again, this goes back to who we're listening to Yeah. when you have an intellectual conflict and, uh, and, and seeing the refuting. I like debates. My kids love debates. I, I don't know what I'm breeding in my home here, but uh, miss Dixon, I, I partially blame you. But it's very important. It's very important to, again, when you have an intellectual conflict, I think you, a lot of us just don't go, go to very far right. in discovering this. Okay, so let me, let me close with this challenge, okay? And, and you, right. you, you're going to get your final thoughts. Okay, yes. I I have this belief that one of the reasons that our not not we have doubt, but our doubt remains in and grows is because we don't satisfy it mm. and we don't try we don't try. Okay. So again, I'm gonna go after personal responsibility. So put on your seatbelt here for a second. I know that's what I'm doing. But if you have never studied where the Bible comes from, what the Bible is and what the Bible is for. Like literally, if I ask you the question, where does the Bible come from? How was the Bible put together? Who wrote the Bible? When was it constructed, the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, and when were they brought together? If you can't answer that question, that means that you've got a lot more digging to do. Right. And I encourage every Christian to know the answers to those questions, because I think To have intellectual integrity, whether it's for yourself or with your children or with people that are going to be skeptical in your life, or just to satisfy that potential future doubt that you're going to have, that you feel like you went to that level and you did do the discovery and you did dig deeper, if you do that, it will fortify your faith. And totally. I'm speaking as one who has done that. I mean, I can go a lot farther and a lot more issues. I will forever be studying God's Word and seeking to understand spiritual truth. I'm not the guru, but I, in our bookstore at Northwest Church, I have the the book, How We Got the Bible. And the reason that I use that book is because it's only 350 pages versus like, you know, Joshua McDowell's evidence that mm-hmm. demands a verdict is like 900 pages. Like, thank you, Mr. McDowell. <laughs> but it's a, it's a view, yeah. a historical view and a, and a real important understanding of how the Bible came together. And I think the majority of us can't answer that question. And I'm not saying that for guilt, but for personal responsibility's sake, If we're finding ourselves dealing with a lot of doubt as it pertains to the Bible, which you brought up authority, we're questioning authority. Well, number one question, number one authority we're questioning is the Bible, right? Because the Bible, the structure, the substructure of, and the foundation of the Bible is what we base our faith on. And if you erode that foundation, you've got nothing. Right. Correct. And that's what I saw when I brought up Eastlake Community Church up in Bothell. Um, In their early days, they grew to like five, 6,000 or something like that. But then the... Pastor uh, started to go down these roads of disbelieving uh, the scriptures. And I remember when it happened, and I just thought, and I said to our pastor friends at the time, I said, this church will cease to be a church. And now he's a Buddhist. Uh, Ryan Meeks is a Buddhist that leads people on high-dose mushroom trips. That's what he does. And, uh, and he likes the teachings of Jesus that line up to what he thinks is mm-hmm. love is a gift, and, or life is a gift, and love is the point. I mean, yeah. whatever fits into the framework of how you define love and life, you like those teachings of Jesus, but the other ones, not so much. Mm-hmm. And that's my point, is, is that when people start flirting with that, instead of going deeper to understand it, all of a sudden, you deconst- you will deconstruct, and I've watched it happen. And he deconstructed in front of a church, which made them deconstruct, and that's probably the worst thing someone can do. It's one thing if you're going to go down a path mm-hmm. of of discovery and deconstruction. It's another thing if you're going to do it in a microphone. Right. I mean, right. It's, I mean, seriously, like that to me is as traumatic as anything Mm -hmm. you're going to bring up about church culture, because you literally just led everybody else into this place of discovery. And if you wake up in five or 10 years and you go, man, I was wrong, I hope you understand what you did. Yeah. And that's the painful part of why a person like me was correcting yeah. that and saying something about it at that time. And I'm I'm okay to, to name names, not because I want to cast some shadow on anybody anybody's right. name or or to in a self righteous way we're better than that group of people, but right. rather like okay, fine, you deconstructed your faith, you had a doubt that you didn't weren't able to solve, but you did it in a microphone right. and you let other people into this new religion that mm-hmm. you constructed and that to me is church trauma. Right. Oh. And all the way you did that, you called out everybody else's church trauma and you let everyone off cliff. It's so called a cliff. So I just don't That's I just don't is. buy some of that where it's like church trauma leads us to question everything and in your questioning everything like you're not leading everybody into another layer of exactly the same thing that you're running from. Right. And so th- th- this season of time that we're in it, it can bring out some good things with the intellectual conflicts that we have. But I also think that if we don't, if we're not interested in processing this in a robust way, I think it's going to bring on the same destruction that a lot of us are running from. Right. Right. And so what's your final word?
1: Yeah. I think I, I want to believe the best about people too. Like there are people who are using this to just get to, to do what they want, but there's a lot of people, who want to know truth, and the world has given, given them a process called deconstruction mm-hmm. to help them th- as the path to truth, to a path to of a, a, to an awakening. Mm-hmm. And I think we have many coming in into our churches who really want to know truth. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we're passionate and we're giving a critical analysis of deconstruction is because we know we believe Mm -hmm. the truth of jesus jesus is the way the truth and the life and we know what he's done to us we've seen scripture we've wrestled with tension of scriptures we walk through tragedy with people we've walked through our hurt we've been faced with deconstruction we're not we're very familiar with these things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh and we have mercy for these things Mm -hmm. and but but ultimately we want to be truth seekers. If you're on the path of deconstruction, look for truth. If you want truth, then you'll remain open to everything because uh, for who the Lord is, what he can do, and God will meet you. Mm -hmm. Whenever someone called upon Jesus... Uh, he, he revealed himself. He showed himself to them. Mm-hmm. When Moses was, said, "Who are you?" Mm-hmm. God didn't withhold His name from him. Mm-hmm. He told him, and then He gave him an, assi- an assignment, right, mm-hmm. and walked him through his own doubt and mm-hmm. his own mm-hmm. process, so that God can ultimately lead His people out of the slavery of, of Egypt. And I just felt like this. This. Um, this. There's this little verse in Jude. Um, Jude was. D- Judah was. Uh, one of Jesus' brothers who didn't believe until the mm-hmm. resurrection. So there's a level of skepticism this guy dealt with, and then he's addressing these uh, these believers on all these false teachings that are happening and he's talking, just exhorting them to hold on to the faith. And so you can imagine they're here, like the the audience of Jude is, they're hearing all these different thoughts and heretical ways and different types of living and, and these teachings. And Jude ultimately towards the end, he says a lot of exhortative points, but he says, be merciful to those who doubt. And that doesn't mean just to allow them to live there, but it means that we're, we are going to have doubters walk into our church. Mm-hmm. We're going to have people on this process, and you are, you're welcome mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. We love you. We have mercy for you because we know that the world can be mad. We know mm-hmm. that life can be difficult. We know we get to moments in life where we find ourselves in places we never thought would happen mm-hmm. and we, or places we'd ever be in. Mm-hmm. So we have mercy and, and this word, mer- be merciful, just means to give aid to those who are living in this, trying to dis- distinguish what they believe. Right. And so as pastors, as people uh, of, of faith, of followers of Jesus, we have a level of mercy or we bring aid to, we love and we care for, We, we uh, doors are open for you but for those who are doubting look to truth mm-hmm. look to truth mm-hmm. ask the question what is truth
0: it reminds me of uh nicodemus john chapter 3 yeah and you know nicodemus he had to go to see jesus at night because he didn't want everybody else to see him right but he he goes to jesus and he wants to have a real conversation about who he is i love the chosen it's the yeah, tv yeah. series it actually shows a picture of nicodemus and potentially rightly captures it all. I just love it. But I really think of Nicodemus as this true seeker. Mm -hmm. Like he really, he's one of the Pharisees. He wants to know. And even though he came under the shadow of nightfall, he really was wanting to ask Jesus what this is all about. And Jesus says to him, like, for you to even see the kingdom, you must be born again. Like you, you have to be able to you have to be born again to see what I'm gonna, what I'm doing and what I'm talking about. And then he's like, naturally, he's like, I, I can't go back into my mother's womb. <laughs> I mean, he's like,
1: that that, that that proposition sounds that horrific. Work. Yeah.
0: And and Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit like wind. Mm-hmm. You know, you you neither know know where it comes from or where it's going. Um, but you know that it is. And he begins to discuss this with them, and, and be, we believe Nicodemus became a believer, but it, he was a true seeker. That's, that's the power of, of that story to me, is he really wanted to know. And I think that's it. You know what I mean? Did he come with doubts? Did he come with challenges and thoughts and conflict? Of course he did. We're, we're not unlike anybody. I right. have, and in, in, in every season, I am challenged. And uh, being in the role that I'm in, does not mean I, it actually brings on a lot more challenges, but it also brings on the responsibility where I want to go seek the answer. Yeah, And I think that's what being a pastor has done for me. It's actually challenged me to get the answers because right. of responsibility, right. not because I'm afraid of what people are going to do or think. And I've let that pressure go. That That's a pressure that you can have. But the reality is, is that I'm not trying to get anything out of anybody. I really want people to get their answers. Right. Just like I, as a father, I I see my kids struggle with stuff. I really want them to know God. I want them to know the truth. I want them to seek the truth. I don't want them just do what I say to do. Right. I don't think there's any parent that really wants. I mean, it's it sounds pretty cool at first. Right. Like just do what I said. You know. <laughs> right. Like control seems like a legitimate option until you watch them do that, and you know when they go into the real world, that's not going to last. Right. That they only did it because you said to do it, but they don't own it themselves. Mm-hmm. As a pastor, that's what I want. I want everybody to own their mm-hmm. own faith. I want everybody to know the truth. I want everybody mm-hmm. to walk with it because they found that this is true in Jesus and in his word, mm-hmm. not just because I say so. Right. And so that really is the ultimate yeah. goal and encouragement from, from my heart. And let me let me ask you to do this. If you're watching on YouTube, type some stuff in the comments. I would love to hear from you about this. I, I recognize that it may not be you know, everything I want to hear, but I'd love to hear from you about this, whether you're dealing with doubt, you're walking through difficulty, uh, or whatever it might be, things you've faced and uh, and challenges that have come to you or how you've come out of that, type that in the comments. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. This probably is something we have to talk about quite a bit more, right. but I do think it brings up things like the reliability of Scripture and other conversations, which we will have. But Anyways, you're going to have to come back next Monday for another audio or video podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We had a great discussion today, conversation about deconstruction and faith deconstruction, and really how to get back on the reconstruction path, Right. and look forward to more of these about this topic in the future. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in.